battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. All right, folks, you are listening to a special bonus episode of The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. I'm running the ship solo today, uh, continuing our candidate interview series. Today, we have... The Reverend Dr. Will Boyd, running for U.S. Senate. Dr. Boyd, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate your time, sir. Thank you for allowing me to be on today. Absolutely. So let's start out with just an introduction to Will Boyd. Who are you? Um, you know, what do you do? Uh, what's your day job? Stuff like that. Well, by degree, I'm an engineer, uh, also a, a manager, a professor, a dean, a pastor, a bishop, a father, a husband, but I pretty much just try to do whatever I can to serve people and be a voice for the people. And it's the main reason I'm running, uh, just to be a voice for every Alabamian and, of course, uh, all Americans all across these great United States. So that's why I'm here today, uh, hoping just to talk to you about some of the issues that are on the table and what I can do to be the best senator for the great state of Alabama. And what motivated you to run uh, to run for office this year? Well, I've run a few times, as some would say, I've won some and lost some. I began my career really in politics, if you call it that, uh, back in college while I was earning my engineering degree at USC. I was able to serve as a house page, as it's called for, a representative in South Carolina. And that pretty much piqued my interest in politics and of course, government. Uh, I was elected for the first time in Illinois when I ran for city council and made history then, becoming the first African-American elected to city council. Anyone uh, from my understanding uh, of color elected in my county at the time. I then went on and uh, after moving to Alabama, uh, served in positions such as the uh, county chair coordinator, for an executive committee. I was the executive committee chair for the Lauderdale County Democrats. I was also the state Democratic Executive Committee person for my district. Uh, then went on and was nominated to serve as the representative for the 5th Congressional District uh, candidacy. Uh, went on from there to be nominated to serve as the nominee for Lieutenant government, Governor uh, in 2018. And of course, uh, I'm here today as so many people came back and said, Will, we would love to see you uh, fight for that Senate seat. Uh, some consider it to be an uphill climb, but uh, because of the service that I'm committed to and what I've done for people in Alabama, people have asked me to run and stepped in and, and of course, ran. Uh, we, in 17, we were successfully able to get Senator Doug Jones in the seat. So we're believing we're going to do the same thing in 2022. What do you think is uh, is the value in 
continuing to run even when, you know, you said you, you've, you know, held office in Illinois, you've held uh, some, you know, some county level positions, you've held some Democratic Party level positions, and you've, you've run for several races, you've won some and, you lo- and you've lost some. What is the value in continuing to put your name out there? Is it, ju- is it just so that they can't say that they were running unopposed so that there is so that, that people do have a choice. Um, you know, what, what is, what no, is the value, no. what is the value in, in running, um, in, in continuing to, to be out there as a choice for folks? Well, people think in Alabama, because they considered a red state that a Democrat doesn't have a chance, but you never have a shot at winning if you never get in the race. Uh, I don't put my name in the hat because I'm trying to continue to put my name out there. I, Obviously, I put it out there and work because I believe that winning is important. Uh, you don't just quit playing because you don't win the Super Bowl. You keep fighting. You keep training. You keep going back on the field. Same is true of politics. It's, it's hard for Democrats to win in many cases in Alabama, but Alabama is truly a blue state. One of the reasons why we've not seen victories like we really want to is because we have a lot of people who've not turned out to vote. When you look at 2018, when I ran for lieutenant governor and Walt Maddox ran for governor, there were, believe it or not, a variance or a difference between the votes for Walt Maddox and Kay Ivey at about 327,000 plus votes. There were 337,000 people who typically vote Democratic uh, ballots, or at least vote as Democrats, who did not show up in that election. When you look at even the last three election cycles, 324,000 of that same demographic group did not show up to vote. There are even 150,000 people in that same demographic group who have voted in presidential elections but never voted in gubernatorial elections. So our goal has been in this race to turn out those voters, to make sure we reach out to those people who typically don't show up, to show them why with an issues-based campaign, it's important to have someone in the race you believe in who's fighting for your values. People have come to me saying, uh, we really want you to be in this race. We know you're a fighter. And I think if you quickly look at my Twitter feed, my my timeline uh, across Zoom uh, 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 engagements that I've had, even those on Facebook and Instagram, you'll see that I've been traveling the state, hitting as many counties as possible. And everywhere I go, the enthusiasm is very high. Mr. Morrison, there's something quite unusual, really, about this particular race, and it's that Democratic enthusiasm is higher than it's ever been. And by that, I mean, we're at uh, about 78 now uh, percent to a Republicans 54 uh, percent. One might say, well, what does that mean, Will, to have a, a enthusiasm gap of about 25 percent? Well, when you look at 2010, when President Obama ran actually in one in 2008, he was in the state of Illinois, a blue state. But two years later, a Republican was able to win that blue state because they had a plus 19 for Republicans. We're at a plus 25 for Democrats, primarily because of the January 6th hearings. We believe it's because of Roe v. Wade, uh, the overturning. We believe veterans were concerned about uh, being considered political football as it related to the PAC Act and, and much more. So with all these issues on the table, people are very fired up, they're excited, and they're enthusiastic about going to vote because they want someone to represent them uh, in this United States Senate seat. And you mentioned the, the there was a couple things that you mentioned there, but but the bit about veterans being used as a political football. We just today, um, I'm not sure exactly when we're going to air this, but uh, on October 1st, we played a clip 
of Republican Representative Matt Gates on the show calling to abolish the VA. We, uh, abolishing the Veterans Affairs Administration and eliminating the choice that veterans have to access care through the VA, which 90% of veterans would prefer to go to the VA for their care than in the private sector. And we talked to AFGE, uh, to Andrew Huddleston, communications director for AFGE, which is the union that represents VA workers or most VA workers. And it's just an absurd thing to to put out there. You know, we know that, that Republicans have been wanting to privatize the VA for for so long, but most of the time they couch it in, in this, uh, you know, oh, it's just about choice. It's just about choice, right? Uh, <laughs> and we know that's silly, but he just went out there and said it. He just went out there and said it. And of course, that's the end game. But but it, it's it's pretty it's wild to see right. the mask fall off like that. Right. You know, veterans make an incredible sacrifice, not only on the battlefields, but even stateside. Uh, there are a lot of different roles that veterans find themselves uh, involved in working to protect our country. And even I would even go down and, and talk about people who are in the reserve protecting uh, those of us who are, of course, uh, locally here in Alabama. That all being said, the, one of the main reasons we were excited about the promise to address Comprehensive Toxins Act uh, is it's because it took those veterans who were out there who were struggling, like my father, as you know, in Vietnam, he was exposed to Agent Orange. In later conflicts and, and theaters, you have soldiers who were exposed to burn pits and, and many other toxic chemicals out there, and they're still struggling today. So the VA is very necessary, important, vital in that when these soldiers are stateside, when they're here in the United States, uh, they need the proper care. They need the proper treatment, the proper help. Mm. Uh, the VA has been good to my father uh, and people that I know who serve. Uh, of course, sometimes you run into some challenges and, and you have uh, hospitals that have to kick in and assist. Uh, I can attest that one of the main issues that I'm running into veterans struggling with is mental health. So they need a lot of support from the VA in that area and uh, uh, people trying to get all their benefits. And, you know, it just, there's just a whole lot that 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 occurs once a veteran returns to the United States. Some of them have been at unbelievable numbers, sleeping under bridges, unable to transition back into society, struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder and the, and the likes of injuries that that only the VA can really attend to. So uh, to say that we need to abolish uh, such an agency is 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 just unbelievable. I will definitely speak to the AFGE president, Reverend Dr. Kelly, uh, at my next opportunity and let him know that, that we need to make sure we do all we can to stand with the veterans as well. Absolutely. And they're a, a great friend of the show. We've had uh, Reverend Dr. Kelly on a couple of times, and uh, and, and it's, it's really cool seeing uh, native Alabamian head up the largest federal employees union. He was the, my understanding is that he was the first black president of the uh, local union at Anniston Army Depot. Um, so that's uh, some, yes, some really, really cool, uh, really cool stuff there. And, and, and I did want to uh, mention that y you, you talked about going across the state and some of the places that you're going are uh, union rallies and uh, supporting, um, you know, supporting the mine workers down in Brookwood. You were actually at the Shoals area uh, Labor Day Festival and you left before I got there. So I was bummed about that. But uh, 
everybody that I talk to in the labor movement across the state, uh, whether they are even even some of the most jaded people about politics, you know, I, I have I, I know some folks in the labor movement who's just basically like, screw them all politicians. I don't care about them. We shouldn't be giving them any money ever, ever again. We should never give any politician any money at all ever again. And I'm somewhat sympathetic to that, but I, 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 anytime I bring up your name, even about even with this specific person that I'm thinking of, he was like, "Oh yeah, I made sure that our union gave him some money." <laughs> and so you have a really good you have a really good reputation among uh, unions and and union folk across the state of Alabama. And it, it's really funny this guy that I'm thinking of. His name's David Story. He's a very very anti politics guy, uh, but but he's a big fan of Will Boyd. He's a big fan of Will Boyd, hey. and and he thinks that that you are uh, you know. You're you're not just a fair weather friend to uh, the labor movement, and so you know how how is it that why are you so you know a, a lot of Democrats aren't um, you know they're not involved in this. Uh, there's a there's a yeah there you go you knew who David was that's a machinist union sticker right there. And so, so you're gonna bring David story. David story actually presented me with a uh, it's like a gold coin for the IM as well. And I've been their keynote speaker for at least uh, two years, 2019 and even in 2022. I'll be speaking to IM in Huntsville in a few days. So, yeah, mm -hmm. David Story is a good person, great, great, great friend of labor, and I appreciate all he does. He's a great, great person. Absolutely. And, and I think folks that know David Story will, will know uh, what it means that, that he, he speaks highly of you because he really, really, really hates politicians. And so, you know, <laughs> so... What what is it that that I'm made crying, starting to cry? <laughs> right, right, right. So you know, what is it that that makes you interested in in supporting unions? Where did you get that, um, you know, that inclination? And and uh, how have you been being received at these union events? Well, you know, uh, I come from a family where there are a lot of white collar workers, a lot of veterans, but I also so a lot of blue collar workers in the family. I watched my grandfather work at Dixie Cup back in the day. Uh, it's It would have been where you have all of your paper plates, paper cups made. He was probably someone who didn't have more than a third or fourth grade education, but he went on to become, in my mind, one of the smartest people. I'm not just saying that. I mean, I hold an engineering, but but he 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 could pretty much break down anything and then put it back together again. So he was in a in a high ranking place uh, with that company for many years as well. So uh, that blue blood, I guess, is is there from a different perspective. Not not talking about law enforcement in this case. I'm talking about about labor. So I've I've been around labor quite a bit, even in my uh, lifetime after graduating from college. I was able to work in union uh, environments. Uh, Tula and dye makers were very good friends of mine because I of course ran even assembly lines that had three and 400 people affiliated with them in some type of way. Uh, I had people who were affiliated with boiler makers unions, uh, United Steel workers and others who affiliated with, uh, obviously working with the material that came into my plant. I was around them even on Fridays as a, as a manager, uh, an operations manager, engineer, I had the opportunity to sit in union meetings. So union stewards, shop stewards, 
uh, union presidents and I were very close. I, I probably had a totally different relationship with the union than most because I believed in listening to people. I guess that's part of my pastoral side, part of my uh, clinical psychology side, if you would, Christian world. I just believe in that you should listen to people and understand where they're coming from, what their concerns are. So that all being said, uh, I've stood up with unions in arbitration meetings, remediation, uh, looking at the National Labor Review Board materials. Uh, I've actually stood with unions and made sure uh, we battled or at least made sure we stopped what we would be called misclassification. So when you talk about Davis, Bacon, and prevailing wage and um, uh, PLAs, FMLA, or any of these acronyms, uh, Davis, Bacon, and I bring up all these different names. Most people who are watching obviously know what I'm talking about. These are familiar to me because I've, I've just sat with secretary treasurers like yourself. I've sat with union presidents. I've sat with uh, people at all levels of unions and just talk to them about what they need and try to help them fight. Uh, of course, uh, Senator Jones and I, uh, people like Steve Stutz, the International Union of Operating Engineers, and I, I could run through all these unions, but we've just partnered together and tried to go around to different union shops and talk to people and see what their needs are, or what they desire. When I go out to hang out coal miners, I don't go out to speak. I don't go out to make any, any speeches. I go out just to serve food, work in the pantry, put together, help bag up groceries. Uh, you know, when people have questions, I answer them from a political perspective. But uh, generally speaking, we're talking about people who've been on right 18 months. People would really like to see their lives go back to some level of normalcy. So I'm just trying to help them get their voice to be heard. And whatever that takes, uh, I'm willing to do. I'm even willing to put this candidacy on the line, uh, uh, this nomination uh, on the line, if you would, and, and just help even bring mediation for the coal miners. So when you mention the paper plant, paper mail, and others who were, who were possibly facing strikes, scabs that we call them being dealt with, uh, those are just issues that I really hate that they have to go through when, when negotiations fail. But it's important for the union worker to be heard. We want to hear that people are making realistic wages. We want to hear that people have uh, an opportunity to work in safe conditions. We want to hear that people have their voices being heard whenever there's something that is not compliant or not going right uh, for them. So these are things that we need more of. Uh, I think if we had to to union workers more often, uh, we would see a lot less strikes, a lot less uh, contracts uh, really been breached, violated. And, and I just think the world would be a better place. So I'm you not. Know, that's who I am. I'm just a friend of labor. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I, you know, nobody wants to, nobody wants to go on a strike. It, it takes a lot to sacrifice, uh, to, to a, a lot of sacrifice to go on a strike. And especially those folks like the coal miners, um, you know, going on strike for 19 months now, uh, that's a very, very, yeah. very long time. And, uh, they're not, you know, it, I, I won't go through it all, but they're not asking for very much. And, and people listening to this show understand and, and you understand um, so, you know, we, we can go into some of, uh, some of your platform, you know, what are, what are, let's say the top, top three issues that, uh, you know, that, that you're running on that if we give you a magic wand, you get done your first day in office. Well, the economy is very important to people. We could talk about whether people are pro-life 
pro-choice, whether between we could talk about our issues that relate to, you know, what's on the table right now, but everything seems to go back to the economy first. And, and, you know, you can have people who have a lot of desires to purchase things, to do things, but without the economy being where it needs to be, really building the economy from the ground up, from the middle out, people aren't free to, to, to go about their days and do well. I keep saying I'm trying to be a voice. I'm trying to be a voice so every Alabamian has a shot at the American dream. I want to see every person who is in that working class able to go out and, and earn eventually that realistic living wage where they can take care of their family. Uh, it bothers me in Alabama that we have, in some cases, by some measurements, 800,000 people in poverty. It bothers me that we have a regressive grocery tax. It bothers me that we're looking at very low, even record unemployment in Alabama, but we're also seeing where there will be thousands of jobs that will go unfilled because people don't have the right skill sets. So we want to see, as it relates to the economy, that there are taxes that are cut. We want to see our workforce actually support it. We want to see the modernization of infrastructure. We want to see the the tangling of regulations. I mean, these are things that are important, uh, developing energy resources. But for the most part, when you get the economy moving, uh, especially coming out of a punishing pandemic and people are able to go to work, uh, we're better off. So number one, the economy. Number two, uh, education continues to rise to the top. Uh, education is important because people want to know that if they're going to go to a trade center or if they're going to be in a, in a dual credit program, if they're going to leave high school and go off into the trades, that they have a, an ability to train with some group of people jump straight into that apprenticeship or that German role, master role at some point in time, own the, their own business uh, in the future. We want to make sure those educational opportunities are there. So I talk about K being fully funded, talk about preschools, I talk about you know primary, secondary learning, talk about the fact that we need to uh, fully fund HBCU, historically black colleges, universities, community colleges. But I've often talked about that blue collar revival. And with that blue collar revival, working with labor, partnering with businesses, you can be pro-business and pro-labor at the same time. I believe we'll see that economy shift. And that's all because of the educational, uh, uh, exceptional educational uh, process that I'm trying to push forward. Uh, the environment is important. Even though we talk about, again, other issues on the table, uh, the environment is a critical thing in Alabama. Believe it or not, most millennials, most people who are uh, in high school, starting college, they don't think a lot about the economy right away or education as much as you or I might. They're concerned about the environment. They're concerned about making sure there's clean water, clean air. So I've been traveling around counties where there have been uh, all sorts of environmental challenges and even climate change issues that have not been addressed and just talking about them and working with them. So wrapping it all up, I think one of the most important things that people are hearing right now that's important to them is again, their ability to be heard. So you have women who are out there who are saying uh, uh, a choice or a, an ability to make a healthcare decision on their own. And for 50 years, they enjoyed it, but now that's being taken away whether they're libertarian, independent, Democrats, Republicans, everybody's expressing to me, especially women, that they don't like the old reach, the, the privacy, the intrusion uh, level that's been uh, broken or their, their, their rights to privacy being, being really taken away. So again, these are issues that are important. I could keep going uh, up and down every category, but what I've been doing just to wrap this particular segment up, 
relating to my platform. I've traveled all 67 counties uh, as often as I can, explaining to them what are the top five issues in their area. And I'm very specific about how I plan to address them from the U.S. Senate point of view. So a lot of things we talk about may be issues that more state legislators would address, a constitutional candidate, a governor, or a lieutenant governor, secretary of state. Uh, but as it relates to the United States Senator, I want to see more CHIPS Act uh, act, acts in place or thing, uh, provide incentives for uh, semiconductors to, to be made. I want to see where we are freeing ourselves from the, on foreign oil. I want us to have more legislation, again, like the PAC Act that I've mentioned many times. I want to make sure that we see a lot of legislation that goes out really, again, to help the working class of Alabama really have a shot at doing well. What do you think are, um, you know, in, in relation to these issues and others, what do you think the, some of the biggest contrasts between you and, uh, and and Katie Britt would be? Katie Britt is the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate. Uh, what would be some of the big contrasts that you would want to make? To be honest with you, I, uh, I've been asking for a debate with uh, Mrs. Britt and the other challenger and have not been able to make that happen. I, I was hoping by now the news media would do that for us. Television channels would, would, would definitely air that so all Alabama can see a contest. So without those opportunities, I can only go on any any, any comments I've seen or, or, or read uh, in commercials. Uh, I've seen, again, I'm running a positive campaign. Uh, I believe there's a contrast trying to be drawn between me and her that I'm more pro lawyer uh, which means that I'm not pro-business. Uh, but I again say that you can be pro-business and pro-labor at the same time. I was a business professor. I was a management professor. I taught everything from entrepreneurship and risk-taking all the way through to what happens on the business and how you make sure the businesses continue for a while. I've helped businesses get started. Anything from an art gallery to churches to for-profits and non-profits. I've written books about leadership uh, and even management. Uh, I've, I've taken a number of statistics classes and economics classes to talk about what we need to do to turn our economy around in Alabama. I'm not someone who is not business-minded at all. I'm actually someone who uh, could, could go all day talking about what we need to do to turn our state around. So as far as a clear contrast, uh, I can't speak to what Ms., Mrs. Brett may uh, think about me or, or believe about a platform, there certainly seems to be a concern that I'm not as business savvy or have concerns for business because of my very strong uh, pro-labor beliefs. But yes, you can be both. Uh, I believe if you just look at party differences overall, you just mentioned a desire to take away a, well, if you look at the party, uh, Democratic Party versus the Republican Party alone, the Democratic Party is a party that's been about the issue that labor unions fight for. Uh, we've been about FMLA. We've been about making sure there's Medicaid, Medicare. We've been about being concerned about there being uh, all sorts of safety nets in place to make sure that workers are protected. Uh, there, there, there are a lot of things I could do about as it relates to the differences uh, between what's happened in Republican administration versus, versus Democratic administrations. Just think about the last administration alone. There were desires to make cuts to to SNAP, uh, supplemental uh, nutritional 
assistance program. There was a desire to cut meals on wheels. There was a desire to make cuts to social security. But again, this party is a party that's concerned about taking care of people no matter where you are, making everyone their share. Look at the inflation reduction alone. It, it actually ensures that businesses, especially those top businesses that are making billions of dollars but not paying their share in taxes and make sure they pay their part, but at the same time, it brings down uh, inflation levels. It actually addresses climate issues. It helps to make sure that Medicaid uh, or Medicare issues and Medicaid issues are being addressed. For instance, it makes sure that, that, that people don't pay a whole lot for insulin on a monthly basis. Seniors are capping that, seeing that capped at $35. They're seeing their out-of-cost premiums uh, for health care uh, being capped at about $2,000. Uh, this is important when you're in a state like Alabama, where one in 10 Alabamians uh, don't have access to health care. This is important in, in areas like ours, where your congressional district has over 125,000 women who don't have access to health care. So these are things that are important. These are the biggest differences between, I believe, my party and opposition's party. When we are, um, you know, thinking about some labor-related issues, some union-related issues that might come before the U.S. Senate, obviously top of mind is going to be the PRO Act. I'm assuming, uh, I think it would be a safe assumption to say that you would support the PRO Act? Absolutely. Uh, I'm surprised I didn't even say that already. <laughs> yes, the protecting the rights to organize is very important to me. It's something I've for for years. I believe people need to organize, they need to bargain collectively. Uh, just like people want to codify Roe v. Wade, uh, you want to see in the proactive the codification of what's called the ABC test uh, as it relates to a contractor. You want to make sure that that there are no uh, intimidating meetings. And you know hmm. they have several different names, but sometimes businesses have a tendency to try to bust unions or stop unions from starting by having these meetings where they intimidate, where they call people in and then tell everything about uh, people like me and why they should not organize or have a contract even drawn up. Uh, there's also uh, with the PRO Act uh, where we desire to see what the same tools and resources inside of a business that are used to disseminate emails to employees can also be used by labor unions so that we don't have to start off trying to pull names together and build lists, but it's, it's all there. Uh, again, there are a number of things that are in this PRO Act that are important, but as a person of color myself, uh, I tell you that people of color who are in unions typically make more than those people of color who are outside. Right now in the state of Alabama alone, we're seeing where we have really the lowest unemployment, really the lowest uh, labor participation out there. And uh, if my numbers serve me correctly, and I don't want to mess anything up for, for, for you today as far as uh, the stats are concerned, but I, I believe union membership is about 5.9%. And uh, if we were to look at the numbers, actually right now, I think there are about 115,000 uh, union members, people who are card carrying union members in Alabama. But regrettably, I wanna say in the last year, there are around uh, 18,000 people who enjoyed union benefits without being a part of a union. So mm -hmm. Alabama tends to be a right to work state, uh, but even though you have a right to work state, People try to stop labor unions from doing what they want to do, even through the PRO Act. And while people that you and I know well, people who are in labor, were, were probably not as optimistic that the bill will, will push through, 
we have to be uh, able to at least break it up into some sections and say, perhaps if not the PRO Act this time, maybe it's it's a different name, but we, we, we make sure we keep pressing forward. You asked earlier about why do you keep running? You know, you don't quit. If the PRO Act in its entirety now is, 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 is not enjoyed, not pushed through, not passed, don't stop. Go back and offer another bill. You know, we started with this, this, uh, this infrastructure bill that which was bipartisan. We talked about a build back better plan. There were several steps to get us to where we are with the in Inflation Reduction Act, uh, now law, right? So it, it, it requires people not giving up, people like the union leaders, people like our friends uh, in Brookwood that continue to fight, even though it looks like an uphill battle, you don't quit. You keep, some of them people get on the line every morning at 4.30 and they stay on as long as they can. They're, they're called the crew. We just have to have a crew of people, even in the Senate, like myself, who are committed to pushing for certain parts. We want it all, right? But at least certain parts of the PRO Act still being pushed forward, even if certain parts get kicked back. Another issue that came up recently is about the uh, is about the railroad strike and the um, the Republicans in the Senate tried to impose on the workers uh, the presidential emergency board recommendations that uh, the unions had expressed a, a potential willingness to strike over. So to not implement those recommendations because they didn't feel like they were good enough. Um, and, and, and so we saw the Republicans try to implement those recommendations over the will of the workers that actually make the trains run. Um, and so would, uh, and, and Bernie Sanders stopped that basically. He, he denied them unanimous consent, uh, and, and they did not impose that contract on the workers. Could, uh, and it seems to me that because of the Railway Labor Act, a contract can be imposed on these folks, on the workers, but also on the companies. And it seems like there is absolutely no conversation about, well, if there's conversations about um, imposing a contract that the workers don't want, then why don't we just impose a contract that the companies don't want and just give the workers what they, <laughs> you know, what, what, what they want? Why don't we exactly. make the companies accept a better contract for the workers instead of making the workers who have sacrificed so much already sacrifice even more by force of law? What would your position be on, exactly. um, on an implementation of, of, a, of a contract by the, uh, you know, by Congress uh, on the railroad workers? Uh, were you to get in the Senate? Yeah. You know, when I taught even business management 101, I spent some time talking about labor and I went as far back as the the origin of the AFL-CIO. When I talk about IAM, I talk about you know them getting started and, and what they did. When I talked before the AFL-CIO and you were there, uh, talked about their history and their origin, uh, Labor unions tend to get started when there are people who say, again, we want to make sure our voices are heard. We want to work with management. We understand we have shared goals. We have shared objectives. But at, at the end of the day, we also feel like we have to have uh, fairness on both sides. So do I believe it should be one-sided? Absolutely not. Uh, I believe as you should have management and, and, and union people who will sit at the table uh, as related to the railroad, uh, I'll call it agreement for now. I, I was one of the first, of course, 
uh, who saluted the fact that people worked around the clock all night long. And I was glad President Biden uh, and the White House administration stepped in and, and, and tried to you know, move towards uh, facilitating an agreement so that we didn't see a work stoppage or find us in a, in a bad state. That all being said, uh, no, I don't believe you should have a one-sided agreement. I believe, obviously, in the Senate, you're going to see with me as a United States Senator, I'm always going to be one of those people who wants to sit at the table and make sure the rights of the workers are being heard. Now, I'm not pandering. I'm not just saying this. I think my record has proved that, and I think it will continue to prove that. Uh, we need people who, again, will look at both sides. These are mutual agreements. These are agreements that, that have to be made with, again, fairness on both sides. So sometimes there's some giving. Um, on, on the side of the union and on the side of management. Everybody doesn't always walk away with everything they want, but you at least you're coming away with the win-win so people can work together. I and I think this will be the last uh, the last question before we let you go. We appreciate your time. How would you help folks in Alabama if you uh, were elected to the US Senate? How, how, what would you work to do to try to build up a progressive, labor-friendly bench of representatives here in Alabama that could go on to, that that could, you know, I mean, even being a, being a labor-friendly city councilor is extremely valuable and you're going to affect a lot of people's lives, but even uh, potentially going beyond city councilor, beyond county commission and, and representing folks in the state house, what would you do to build up the, the bench of, of progressive and labor-friendly folks uh, representing people in Alabama? Well, of course, you know, if, if, if I were, again, one of these constitutional offices, one being the lieutenant governor, where appointments are made, it would be much easier to, to appoint labor uh, personnel or people uh, who are labor friendly uh, into these positions to make sure there's some balance. But as a United States Senator, uh, I will arise every day working with the commitment uh, of, a, of a friend of labor to be someone who's gonna to fight to make sure there's equality, that there's equity, that people are, are being treated with respect. Uh, I would highlight unions like the IATSE uh, who have been working hard for years to make sure that there is not a gap in pay between gender. So male and female aren't seeing the large gap that you see in other places. I would highlight the fact that you have people like the unions that we've already mentioned today. Uh, I could run through every acronym and tell you I've, I've talked to uh, representatives from almost every labor union, every labor union uh, in the country uh, over the last few months, uh, telling them about my platform and how I'm proudly endorsed by the AFL-CIO. So I think my my election would be historical, not just as the first African-American elected United States Senator from the state of Alabama, but probably one of the most pro-labor uh, senators that Alabama ever had. So I think we uh, dispel any images that being pro-labor is bad or evil by, uh, again, speaking about union issues, pushing for the PRO Act and making sure at a, at a state level as often as possible, talking to the congr congressional delegation and even working in, in counties across the state of Alabama to support those people who have similar views. So again, this is what I would do. I would love to have also on my, on my staff, I will have to have at least three different groups working with me, a, a team in Washington, a team that's uh, working obviously with the day-to-day -day issues related to, to the legislature, but uh, legislation being passed, uh, nominations uh, that are, of course, providing advice and consent to the president, but also would have to have a team in Alabama 
who was running, I believe, my three legislative offices that would likely be somewhere around Huntsville, uh, uh, Birmingham, Montgomery area, and then down in Mobile. I hope to add a few more, uh, some more like Daleville, some more uh, uh, in, the, in the wiregrass. That all being said, I want labor people on my team. Uh, I had a phenomenal person who was a plant and tissue uh, 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 union president who traveled with me everywhere I went when I was running uh, for uh, lieutenant governor. I also had uh, other people who had great connections to the union involved in every area of my campaigns. Before I make any moves, I typically bounce my ideas off of people who have served in and retired from unions. I mentioned Steve Stutz already before, uh, but there's so many others that I've relied on to make sure that I hear what's important to working people in Alabama. So again, this is what they'll get out of Will Boyd being their next United States Senator. Will, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. It's been an honor. Thank you so much, sir.